It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's deflected. And picked up Mason. He'll take it in. It's a pick six and a touchdown. Bell into the middle of that line. And it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. There was contact with a quarterback and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and what? it's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time for Chronicles of Nanny, a name for the man who is the stat geek over at JetsXFactor.com. Good buddy of mine, friend of the show, of course, Mr. Michael Nania. Michael, what's going on, buddy? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. And, you know, if you've been following anything that I've been posting on Twitter, I just posted a piece with a hundred reasons to believe in Sam Darnold. So if that's not an indicator that I have a lot of time on my hands, then I don't know what is. So uh, things are going about as good as, as they can be right now. Michael's got too much time on his hands. That's an old <laughs> sticks reference. If you don't know the song, check it out. Catchy tune for sure. But yeah, a hundred reasons to believe in Sam Darnold seems like a lot, but considering all the debate around Sam Darnold, over the last couple of months, maybe you should read it and reassure yourself. Today, we're not going to talk about Sam Darnold, though. If you want to hear about our discussions that we had in the past about Darnold, you can check out the Sam Darnold Project. Michael reviewed every single snap of Sam Darnold's young career. It's up at JetsXFactor.com, and we reviewed it in multiple parts here on the podcast. But today, we're going to talk about the newest members of the Jets. And this is part three of our discussion on the numbers that Michael dug up on the new players that the Jets drafted in the 2020 draft. We got up to Captain James Morgan last week. That's where we finished. So let's finish out the rest of the draft class, and we'll start with Cam Clark. I really like Cam Clark because he's big, he's powerful, he's a mauler. He's already developed a relationship with Makai Becton. And the way you broke Cam Clark down and all the rest of these guys down is excellent. It's really easy to digest. You have a list of positives and negatives, and then you have subcategories. So let's start with the positives. What did you find numbers-wise that you really liked about Cam Clark? Yeah, in terms of the numbers with Clark, obviously playing with uh, with Charlotte in Conference USA, not the best competition. And, you know, he really dominated uh, against that weak competition. He only gave up five pressures. Uh, of those pressures, none of them sacks uh, or 354 snaps in protection. In 2019, that's only 1.4% rate. That was seventh best in the nation out of 380 qualified tackles. So that's a 98th percentile. So uh, in terms of the pass protection numbers, about as dominant as you can get. Uh, and, and really across the board, that's going to be the case with prospects at just about any position. It's all about transferability to the NFL because, you know, just to get there, you have to be great, whether you're a first-round pick, seventh-round pick, undrafted. Uh, only the best of the best in college really get there. So uh, it's all about uh, how you can transfer that, your success in college to the NFL. And what's really great about Clark is that the one game he did play this past season against top-level competition against Clemson, 
he was really, really good. And I don't have any specific numbers on that game, but uh, Joe Blue should have some tape on it soon. I've actually posted a lot of his best clips from that game, but uh, he had through at least five defenders on the ground in that game. And he did, didn't even play the entire fourth quarter because the team was getting blown out, but he's consistently dominating that Clemson defense uh, throughout that game. So it was really good to see him play good, uh, play well in the one game he played against top tier competition. Uh, and another positive uh, with him is his progression throughout his career. I mentioned he had allowed a 1.4% pressure rate in 2019 Back in 2017, he allowed 5% rate, which is about middle of the pack, improved to 3.8 in 2018, and then down to 1.4 in 2019. So the progression throughout his career, that's really good. Uh, and zone blocking, too, is something that he brings to the table. Obviously, he's most known uh, as, you know, a guy, like as you mentioned, a mauler, a power guy, and you have him and Becton potentially next to each other. There's a lot of power there, but it's in the zone game where they make the most out of that power, moving uh, moving lateral, laterally, down blocking, and getting some movement uh, horizontally. And so in the zone game, Clark put up a really good blocking grade uh, from Pro Football Focus, 91st percentile zone run blocking game among tackles. Uh, actually, Becton was 91st percentile. Clark was 92nd percentile. So both guys did really good in that facet, in that facet and that should fit in really well. Uh, in the NFL, where uh, a lot of teams are getting really zone-centric uh, the past few years. What's interesting to me, Michael, as I take a look at the negatives here, is that one of his biggest negatives seems to mirror Mekhi Becton. So they're going to require a lot of the same coaching because he didn't have a lot of true pass sets at UNC Charlotte. Yeah, that's definitely one of the big questions with uh, both of these guys, and specifically with Becton. Joe Blewett's actually going to break it down. Uh, got a review coming out soon about how he uh, handled, even though he didn't drop into what you would consider a true pass set very often, he still did well when he had to. And Clark did the same thing. But both guys, it is a question mark. They did not have to do it a lot. There was a lot of play action, bootlegs, uh, just you know, sprinting out of the pocket, just a lot of design ways to make pass protection easier for the entire offensive line. So Clark, in 2019, only 63 true pass sets. Uh, that's about 17.8% of all of his pass protection snaps. Becton was 24%. Uh, so that's a really low rate. It's It basically just shows you that you know, uh, he didn't have to go one-on-one. Uh, you know, just that classic, you know, kick your foot back and get into a one-on-one with an edge rusher, protect the edge for three, four seconds. Didn't have to do a whole lot of that. So even though he did handle them pretty well, as did Becton, uh, just not a lot of experience doing it and obviously playing in an offense that really – kind of made his job about as easy uh, as you could ask. But again, did really well in with what he had to do. So it, it all comes down to whether the Jets can coach both those guys to hold up uh, in an NFL protection scheme. Let's talk about Bryce Hall, who was the 158th pick in the draft, fifth round for the Jets. Still can't believe he was available in that spot. And obviously a big part of it is because of the injury and all the uncertainty that's going around because of what's happening in the world. So people weren't able to examine these guys with their team doctors. But if you look at his positives, number one on the list here, and there's a good reason for it, is that this dude was pretty dominant on the field, not just in 2018 when everybody acknowledged that he was arguably the best cornerback in the country, or 2017, but last year before the injury as well. Yeah, you, you go back to 2018, and there there was a lot of buzz that you know he could have been a first-rounder if he came out after that season, or somewhere high in the draft, day one or day two, but... 
21 pass deflections in 2018. That led the entire nation and was also tied for the most in a single season by an ACC player uh, since 2000, which is the farthest back that, that, that those records are available. So, And he played wide receiver in high school. Those ball skills have carried over to the defensive size. And, and one of the big things with cornerback is that you can't just look at the interceptions, the uh, pass deflections, all the stats in the box score. It's important to know uh, what kind of impact they're making in coverage. And he was doing great there as well. Only 6.1 yards per target allowed, only a 47% completion rate in 2018. So he was phenomenal that season, earned first team all ACC. Uh, he was even good coming downhill, two sacks, two forced fumbles, fumble recovery. So he was phenomenal in 2018. But as you said, what kind of gets lost in the cards is that, you know, even though he did have his 2019 season, cut short due to that uh, ankle injury that he suffered uh he was playing really well before he you know before his season came to an end even though it wasn't a complete season and it was it was kind of similar to Darrell Revis in 2010 that 2009 to 2010 kind progression 2009 Revis made a ridiculous amount of plays on the football you know teams challenged him and he was consistently making them pay then 2010 he comes out and teams don't even want to bother throwing his way anymore so the stats go down, but his impact is the same because he's he's shutting people down because they're not even targeting him. That's kind of what Bryce Hall did in 2019 after he you know took the nation by storm with all those plays on the ball in 2018. So in 2019, Hall is targeted just 22 times over 188 coverage snaps. That's eight and a half snaps per target, 89th percentile among cornerbacks. Only gave up .63 yards per cover snap. That was good enough for the 95th percentile. So even though we only played six games, we really saw teams respect his game quite a bit uh, because after that 2018 season, which he was making more plays on the football than any other corner in the nation, he comes out in 2019 and teams don't even want to throw his way anymore. And when they did, they still were not very successful at all. Only five, uh, 5.4 yards per target. That was a career low. So he's playing very well in 2019, pretty much locking himself in as a potential first rounder until that injury happened. And in addition to the high level of play, he was going up against some NFL caliber receivers too, both in 2019 and in 2018 when he had that record-breaking year. There are some interesting names on this list, Michael. Yeah, so last two years, he went up against five receivers who were who went on to be drafted either in the draft that just happened here in 2020 or in 2019. Those were Kelvin Harmon, Brian Edwards, Antonio Gandy-Golden, Chase Claypool, if you want to consider him a wide receiver, you know, which he was pretty much in college, and K.J. Osborne. So those five receivers, uh, Hall played against all of them. They all went on to be drafted into the league against Hall and the Cavaliers. They only averaged 4.2 catches for 49.8 yards and .2 touchdowns. So just one touchdown scored among the five. So only about four catches for 50 yards per game against Hall. And those guys over the rest of the games they played uh, during the same season in which they faced Virginia, they averaged five catches for 76 yards and almost one touchdown per game. So he definitely did a great job, especially against Kelvin Harmon. Uh, There's some great film of that, all 22 of that on Jets X Factor that blew it broke down. Uh, Harmon did get him for one really impressive, tough grab touchdown in the end zone, but Hall had some equally incredible plays against him. In that game, Harmon obviously is with the Redskins now. He got drafted in 2019. But uh, to see uh, Hall play against uh, a handful of receivers who went on 
to play in the league and do really well against that competition is a, a very promising way to validate his production. The production goes along with size, strength, physicality, and his ability to make plays. And this isn't a guy who you just see as a good coverage guy or somebody who can only make tackles. He can do a little bit of both. And I think that him being such a complete corner with great instincts is what shows up a lot on the film and really translates into those numbers, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And it's always great to have a cornerback who can do uh, who can who has the versatility to take on a lot of roles to succeed in all facets of the game? You want if you want them to be able to come down and support the run. You want them to play in zone, play in man. And Hall really does showcase that and just the consistency of his success over. Uh, and I didn't mention anything about 2017 yet, but even back in 2017, he played really really well, just about on par with these past two seasons. So uh, his consistency, his ability to contribute. In so many ways, and because, you know, all I've talked about so far is coverage, but even coming downhill, playing the run and making, you know, splashy big plays on the football, he can do that as well. He had nine and a half tackles for loss over the past three years. Uh, over the 25, of the 25 players over the past three years that had at least 25 pass deflections, which Hall did, he had 33. He was second among those players in tackles for loss per game, trailing only Amik Robertson. From, Louis, uh, from Louisiana Tech, who did just get drafted by the Raiders in the fourth round. So uh, his ability to not only make plays in coverage, but come down and play play the run, uh, whether he's cleaning up on a screen pass, just a dump off, he can do both those things. Also, after the catch, he only gave up 2.9 yards after catch perception in 2018. That's excellent. So, yeah, he can do both. He showed the ability to do both. Will it transfer over? How much will the injury affect him? Uh, that remains to be seen, but in terms of what he did in college, it's hard for him to have there, – there are not many corners over the past few seasons who have a resume as strong as Bryce Hall. Yeah, from what I can see, Michael, the only real negatives here are the injuries and the fact that he's not super fast. He's fast enough, but he's not a guy that's going to win a track competition. Yeah, he's definitely not the biggest, uh, the biggest speed guy. It's more of size from him. Uh, from a measurable standpoint, just another long corner. You look at Jets have five new corners now, or uh, well, if you include Bus Austin, but four new corners who each have at least 32 inch arms. Hall had 32 and a quarter inch. That's 79th percentile among corners. So tons of length in that cornerback room, and Hall really fits into that. Not a burner, but again, it doesn't look like that's what uh, Greg Williams and this defensive staff is looking for. In their cornerbacks more looking for length guys who are you know have the IQ and the smarts to drop into zone can break on the football and make plays on the football more so than uh, guys who have the speed to make up and man-to-man downfield so it seems like Hall is a good fit for what they're looking for. Braden Mann in the sixth round you wouldn't normally be so effusive in your praise for a team picking a punter but the way I look at this Michael is in the sixth round you're mostly going to be looking at part-time players and special teamers yeah every now and again you strike gold but generally that's what you're getting if man becomes the player that you think he can become then you can lock down that punter position in the sixth round it's fine using a pick like that 
One of the things I really like about him, in addition to his punting ability, is how tough he is and how relentless he is even in coverage. There was a stat that you tweeted out that earned you a retweet from Pat McAfee, and there's a reason why he's talked about how he likes to approach the punter position the way that a linebacker would approach the game. He gets super physical for a guy at a spot that you're not used to seeing people get super physical. Yeah, and Braden Man did actually play linebacker in high school, so it makes a lot of sense that he has uh, the mentality that he does. He had 11 tackles in punt coverage over the past two seasons, which is just ridiculous. In 2019, the NFL leader among punters and tackles was Cameron Johnston of the Steelers. He only had three, so Man averaged about five and a half the past two seasons. He had a forced fumble back in 2018. In 2019, he had seven tackles. And the stat that I was so proud to have retweeted by the man himself, (laughs) Pat McAfee is the last man to do that in the National Football League, to have seven tackles one season as a punter. That was in 2011. So Braden Mann, he does have bring you that ability to contribute in coverage, but that's not what the Jets drafted him for and will be paying him for. They drafted him to kick the ball very far, pin opponents deep, and that is something he can do very well. The records that he has – in terms of distance are endless, whether it's in a single game, single season, career, just up and down the board. He has the record for career yards per punt in the NCAA uh, since 2000. That's as far back as these records are available with 48.9, 51 in 2018. That is the best single season mark. He was fourth in the nation in 2019. 2018 set a single game record with 60.8 in a game against Alabama. He has four of the top 15, two of the top four single-game punting average uh, records among the among the top 50 best single-game punting averages. Four of the top 50, two of the top four. Five games with at least 53 yards per punt, 14 punts of 60 yards in 2018 alone. Uh, the records are endless in terms of distance. But what's important uh, is that he's going to have to learn how to control that be able to have the hang time, the precision, accuracy, situational awareness, uh, to be able to convert his leg talent into effective punting. Because you don't want to just be booting the ball into the end zone for touchbacks when your team is uh, close to the, when you're punting close to field goal range, trying to pin the opponent deep. You don't want to be knocking the ball into the end zone uh, when your team is not in that scenario and you're trying to get it far down the field. You don't want to outkick your coverage, put them in a bad position, give up a big return. So those are going to be really important, uh, really important things for him to work on in the NFL. And the, the positive is that he did show a huge signs of improvement in that area in 2019. His distance numbers went way down in 2019, weren't quite the record-setting numbers that he had the season before. But what's positive is that his touchback rate went down from 18% to 7% in 2019, and his, the percentage of his punts inside the opponent's 20-yard line went down from 20 uh, went act, went up from 26% to 39%. So his situational punting got a lot better and that's a very important thing for him coming into the NFL because his raw power is going to be as good as anyone else in the league but it all comes down to whether he can learn to control it. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. 
They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hoopin' with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a Jet. Play like a Jet. Mike, let's talk about some of the guys the Jets have brought in as undrafted free agents. We'll start with offense. These are the guys that everybody gets excited about. Most of them are not going to make the roster, but you get some gems. Robbie Anderson is the obvious one that made an impact on offense in recent years. So tell me a little bit about who you looked at that the Jets have brought in that you think has the best chance to stick with this team and maybe do something offensively. Looking on the offensive side, I feel like the two receivers they signed, uh, Lawrence Cager from Georgia and George Campbell from West Virginia, from West Virginia, I think they have been a little bit too overhyped. They just do not have a lot of production to go off of, and it, it took a senior year transfer for them to really get anything going. So I think they have been a little bit too overhyped. I mean, the high points of their highlights are really impressive and their big play numbers in terms of touchdown rate, yards per reception, yards per target are really good, but their overall uh, production is not promising. So the guy I think on offense actually does have the best chance to contribute is uh, a guy who does not have a lot of flashy highlights because uh, his position rarely gets any highlight videos made for them. That would be Jared Hilbers, the offensive tackle from Washington, who actually got uh, the highest guarantee of any uh, rookie, any undrafted rookie that the Jets signed in this class, $62,000, pretty high for an undrafted rookie. And as I said, the highest of this Jets class, uh, he was really good uh, as a tackle uh, out there in Washington. His pressure rate was really good, only gave up 2.8% in 2019, 85th percentile, really good size, 6'7", 316, fitting in with 
the emphasis on size that Joe Douglas has kind of shown throughout this offseason, another good fit in his own blocking season, in, in his own blocking scheme, even better grade than Becton and Clark, 86.7, 97th percentile. And as with any player, these numbers, like we're not actually suggesting that, you know, Hilbers is a better zone blocker than Makai Becton is, or he's a better pass protector because the competition is different. The scheme is different. Uh, there are a lot of different factors at play. It's just the way they get that production uh, because, you know, you can produce really well in college, but just do it in a way that is not transferable to the NFL, whether it's just relying on your strength or your speed or athleticism, whatever trait you have without having the technicality and just the technical proficiency for it to actually work in the league. So again, we're not actually saying like just because Hilbers is uh, a 97th percentile blocker, he's a, a lock to be great in the league. But of all these offensive undrafted free agents for the Jets, I think Hilbers does have the best chance. Huge position of need for the Jets. Uh, they Even though they do have Becton, they still have a hole at right tackle for tackle the future. Or if, you know, we still don't know for sure if Becton will play left tackle. Uh, so they still only have one left ta- uh, one tackle for the future so that other spot is a whole Hilbers plays that position he had the highest guarantee which shows you that he's probably their highest priority addition uh, and his production was really good at Washington so uh, of all these guys I think he's probably the most likely to make the team and uh, potentially have a long-term impact now on the defensive side of the ball it's interesting because there's a lot of talk about Lamar Jackson and I think a lot of it stems from people seeing him in their mock drafts before the draft and because he has yeah, the name I'm, I'm Lamar Jackson that one. <laughs> and because he has the name Lamar Jackson but I think that there are other guys that they've signed that might have a better chance to make the roster particularly Bryce Huff. Yeah, Jackson is really interesting because his numbers are uh, his numbers are very good. They're about as good as you can ask for from a cornerback. He's got the length that you want, 6'2", 208, another guy with 32 and a quarter inch arms. The Jets actually added three guys with the exact same arm length, two of which we already talked about, one we'll talk about next. Uh, but he's got that length. 2018 only allowed a 38% completion rate. 2019, he only gave up 5.5 yards per target, 43% completion rate. 56 passer rating. These are great numbers, but when you look at his film, it doesn't really, and it kind of plays back to what I was just talking about with Jared Hilbers in the transfer, uh, transferability of production as great as Jackson's numbers are. And, you know, they rival Bryce Hall's. You look at Bryce Hall's film. Then you look at Lamar Jackson's film. You see two guys who are, you see one guy who is playing in a way that can actually work in the NFL. And you see another guy who is just much bigger, much stronger, much longer than his opponents, and is really, really just living off of that and does not have the technical ability to probably, you know, carry that production over to the league. And that's Jackson. Uh, You look at him play, it's, uh, you know, the production's great and the size is going to be useful in the NFL, uh, just like it was in college. But most of his, you know, production in terms of forcing and completions, all those things that allow his numbers look so good is really just a result of his size. He does not have a lot of change of direction ability is very quick to put his hands on and just use his size. So uh, numbers great for Jackson, but when you look at his film, you could see why he went undrafted. But one guy who does have both things going for him, both the numbers and the film, that would be Bryce Huff. Him going undrafted was very surprising. He had 64 pressures in 2019, fourth most among edge rushers in the nation, 17.8% pressure rate. 
that was at the 99th percentile. So great uh, totals, great raw production, and great efficiency. Uh, and, and you look at him play on tape, he does have uh, very good speed coming off the edge, is able to win uh, and bend the corner. He does have a few good counter moves. Even in the run game, he gets involved. He was 27th in the nation among edge rushers with 24 run stops. So really good way to complement uh, his productivity in the passing game. So his numbers are phenomenal. I think his tape backs it up. And we did interview him on the Cool Your Jets podcast. He is uh, a really amazing guy. His attention to detail uh, in the game is really good. He seems like he has very high football IQ, is very motivated to uh, prove a lot of teams wrong. He actually said that the Titans contacted him as early as the third round, uh, but that never came to fruition, obviously. Uh, he didn't get invited to the Combine, which was very surprising. Didn't get a chance uh, to to uh, run drills at his pro day because of everything that went on. A lot of pro days got canceled, including Memphis. So I'm looking at Bryce Huff, and the edge is a position where the Jets are, are very weak, especially in the passing game. They're good in the run game. They have plenty of guys uh, who can get it done there. Kyle Phillips, Terrell Bash, and George Jenkins, great in the run game, but passing game. Uh, and I actually did a ranking recently of all the edge groups in the league at Jets X Factor, and the Jets edge rushers were the fifth worst in the league uh, in the passing game overall. So still a huge weakness for them, as it has always been for what seems like forever. So they have a hole there. Huff was very productive and kind of slipped through the cracks because some unfortunate circumstances not getting invited to the combine, uh, not getting a chance to impress at his pro day. So I, I think he really is the diamond in the rough of both offense and defense this entire free agent class. I think he is the guy with the best chance to make the roster and the most long-term upside to become a really good player. You mentioned that the Jets added more than one cornerback. They certainly did, not only in the draft, but in undrafted free agency. And then, of course, using the pick that they got for Darren Lee to trade to the Indianapolis Colts in exchange for Quincy Wilson, who was a second-round draft pick back in 2017. Tell me a little bit about what you dug up on Quincy Wilson. Yeah, when you look at Wilson's production in 2019, it's pretty clear why he only uh, why he only gave the Colts a six-round pick in return, uh, warranted a six-round pick from the Jets or valuation of the league, and, and that's because he really struggled. This past season, uh, the Colts tried him out in a few different roles. They had him playing kind of a hybrid safety role, covering tight ends. They had him in the slot. Uh, he didn't really work in any of those roles. Uh, he had, gave up some really bad coverage numbers this year, 174 yards and just 18 targets, three touchdowns, no picks, 142 passer rating, uh, and four penalties. Didn't even play, only played 122 snaps and committed four penalties. So he really struggled. Uh, throughout the entirety of the, his, this past season, uh, he got benched early in the season. They put him back in the lineup, then he was benched again, had some injuries. So it was a very rough season for him. It, it was clear that the Colts were going to try to move on from him. Uh, but the positive with Wilson is that you mentioned it. He was a second-round pick, so you still have that upside. And his first two seasons, he did play pretty decently. Gave up a 89 passer rating in his first season, 92 in his second season. Two touchdowns, two picks allowed into his coverage over those first two seasons. That's a very good ratio over a two-season span. Uh, he's a pretty good tackler, does not miss a ton of tackles, only six missed tackles over his first two seasons against 53 tackles made. So um, first two seasons, he played pretty decently. His production looks pretty good, was not p- playing a ton of snaps because 
both because of injuries and struggling to just kind of hammer down uh, in every snap role, played less than a thousand snaps over his first two seasons combined. And for reference, if you're a starting cornerback, you're probably going to play somewhere from 800 to a thousand snaps in a season. Wilson played 402 in 2017, 558 in 2018. But overall, his numbers of those first two seasons are very, very decent across the board, about average, maybe slightly above. So if he can get back to that in a situational role for the Jets as a cornerback, as a CB3, you know, the third cornerback, uh, as a backup slot, wherever the Jets play him, if it's a, as a hybrid safety, which, you know, didn't work too well with the Colts last year, maybe the Jets continue to try that. Wherever they play him, uh, if he can be as decent as he was for the Colts in his first two seasons, he played the run really well uh, as well over those first two years, uh, then it's plenty worth a six-round pick. I was a huge fan of this trade uh, just because of how unlikely it is you're going to find a contributor, even a player who plays at all in the sixth round, just because of how unlikely that is. If you can get a guy in Wilson who, even though he struggled last year, uh, was a second-round talent just three years ago, is only 24 years old, uh, going to be 25 in August, but I was only 25 years old, going to his fourth year, was a second-rounder, has played decently in this league. Uh, Quincy Wilson, to me, is a lot more valuable than whoever you would have picked with that sixth-round pick. So it, it's not a guarantee he gives the Jets anything based on how he played last season, but the upside is upside and the floor just based on the fact that you know he's an NFL player because, again, the player you pick in the sixth round, especially in the 200s range where the Jets would have been picking – uh, or the low 190s, uh, that that player does not is not a guarantee to even play any games in the league. Uh, and if he does play, maybe only a handful uh, wouldn't even be a contributor. So it's very unlikely to find a starter or, or a contributor at all at that stage of the draft. So to get a guy, Wilson, who has a lot of upside uh, and a track record of you know being an okay situational player is definitely, to me, a much better use of that six-round pick than whoever they would have selected. So I'm always a fan of trading. Uh, these very late picks for NFL caliber players. Just a reminder that most sixth round picks don't turn out to be Tom Brady. <laughs> right, that's true. <laughs> Michael, thanks so much for coming on and running through the rest of the draft class and, of course, the undrafted free agents and Quincy Wilson with me. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to some more projects that we're going to be working on, including one on Quinn and Williams. You reviewed every single snap of his rookie season, and it's up right now at JetsXFactor.com. We're going to talk about it on the podcast. Lots of other stuff up at JetsXFactor.com too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Every single day, tons of awesome stuff. I'm spending a lot. Again, I already told you at the beginning of this, a hundred reasons to believe in Sam Darnold. <laughs> I clearly have too much time to focus on this team, but uh, I've been doing a lot of rankings recently of all the position groups, see where the Jets sacked up. I mentioned the edge rushers. I did that tight end, cornerback, offensive line, wide receivers, uh, linebackers as well, deep interior defensive line, uh, tight ends I just did. I'm not sure if I already said that, but I just said it again if I did. But tons of stuff coming out there every single day. And, and I'm having a lot of fun, but they're getting, really getting a chance to focus on some in-depth stuff all the time. Quinton Williams, as you mentioned, I looked at all of his pass rushing snaps and charted his uh, his win rate and going beyond just sacks and hits and pressures, looking at how often he won, beat his blocker based on his alignment, based on the matchup on the offensive line he's facing, what kind of move he used. Uh, so a lot of really cool stuff at Jets X Factor coming out every single day. 
Go ahead and follow Michael on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania. Check out his work over at JetsXFactor.com. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could do that for us, we would be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.